You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Okay, welcome back to Real Presence Live with your hosts today, Jack and Doreen Kennelly. But uh, before we get to our next guest, uh, as the uh, lead-in said, uh, we're going to have some inspirational and uplifting stuff, and that's going to be one of Doreen's jokes for right now. How about an inspirational <laughs> and uplifting joke? Okay, well, I'm going back to what I learned this morning about the Holy Father's Catechesis it, on Wednesdays, being about the elderly. Okay, but let me say something first before you even do that. A little teaser for our guest that's coming up next. Uh, Eli did a little quick uh, uh, online search and found out that uh, one of the things he likes doing is tormenting loved ones with terrible puns. And so I don't know if you got a pun coming up, but uh, if uh, if history has taught me anything, <laughs> most of these jokes are pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So getting back to our theme of jokes this morning, right? following our Holy Father's desire to kind of highlight the elderly, um, these are some, a list of perks of being over the hill. There's nothing left anymore to learn the hard way. Things that you buy won't wear out. <laughs> your, your supply of brain cells is finally down to a manageable size. You no longer think of the speed limit as a challenge. Your investment in health insurance is finally paying off. Boy, I can hear the laughter <laughs> throughout the whole listening audience. When I think of that sort of stuff, I think of what my uh, my uncle and my godfather told me. He said, I can't wait until I'm 80. Then I can do anything I want. <laughs> anyway. Not true. Okay, well, thanks to our listeners for staying with us after that little uh, interlude <laughs> here. But uh, we're happy to uh, introduce our next guest, who is really no... A uh, stranger to Catholic radio in general, but I don't know if you've been with us on uh, Real Presence Radio, but our guest is Joe Heschmeyer, and uh, he's here to talk about his book, a recent book called The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. And I suppose for those of us who are Catholic, it's kind of like, duh, but uh, I guess there are those who might question that sort of thing. So, Joe, thank you for being with us, and why don't you... Uh, you know, kind of introduce yourself, and then you can just kind of lead into what it was that uh, inspired you to write this book. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's a tough act to follow with the uh, over-the-hill jokes, but <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, yeah, so the idea of the book's pretty simple. A lot of people I know who uh, converted from Protestantism particularly to Catholicism, uh, a major question for them was what the early Christians believed, that they'd kind of assumed, or maybe they'd even been taught, that the early Christians were basically Protestant. They they held to these Protestant doctrines, and that all of these distinctive Catholic teachings uh, about the role of the bishop and the role of the pope, about the real presence, about, you know, all of that stuff, that was like later, and that was as the Church kind of lost its way over time, that it sort of drifted away from the original teachings of Christ, and and then slowly these, these teachings were introduced. But when you go and look at history, none of that's true. There's no slowly these teachings show up, that as soon as we find evidence, we find evidence of the Catholic teaching. That they're, they're there, as far as we can tell, from the very, very beginning, and not just one or two people, seemingly everyone. 
Well, that totally changes the conversation, because if that's true, either <laughs> everyone lost the faith immediately, which is a very different thing than to say that you know, people slowly lost their way over time, uh, or these were the original teachings. These were the teachings that, that Jesus Christ taught the apostles and that the apostles taught their, uh, you know, their listeners and their disciples. So uh, that kind of thing, going like to this, this thing that I know from experience, I know from conversation, has been this tremendously powerful thing. I wanted to say, okay, well, let me kind of highlight this and flag this. And, and so it's been kind of fun just exploring four of the areas uh, really related to that. So in your work uh, as an author, and uh, I don't know if I'd be proper in labeling you an apologist, but I know you're on you know, Catholic Answers oh, Live I mean, a lot. My, my job title, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you come across people who still kind of make this argument? Oh, yeah. I mean, you'll still find variations of this, and it's usually not a scholarly thing, right? It's usually not people who, you know, have some sort of degree in the field. It's people who, uh, that's just what they were told, and that's just what they believed. And you find all sorts of variations of it. So it's everything from, and it's not just, by the way, it's not just Protestants. I, I use Protestants in the book as, you know, a group basically in which to <laughs> bounce arguments off of. But you'll find, you know, the popular book, um, Da Vinci Code, has in there a whole section claiming that Constantine basically wrote the Bible and, you know, decided that Jesus was the Son of God. And it's all just, you know, laughable kind of stuff. The idea that they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or that no one thought Jesus was the Son of God until the 300s. If you read the Church Fathers, from before that, you, you quickly find out that that's not true. Um, but that sort of stuff is very widespread. But you do find a scholarly version of that, especially about uh, the role of the bishop. You'll find even scholars claiming that there was no bishop of Rome. There couldn't be a papacy, because there wasn't even a bishop of Rome until 150 or 180 or so. So there, there is at least some kind of uh, purported scholarly uh, support for, you know, their position then, a little bit at least, it sounds like, but not enough to really uh, uh, jump over the fence. Oh, yeah. When you, when you try to dig into what the scholars are basing their claim off of, it's shockingly weak kind of evidence. Uh, and it's it's largely kind of evidence from silence, uh, you know, that when Ignatius of Antioch writes to Rome, he doesn't mention who the bishop is. <laughs> that doesn't oh. mean there's not a bishop. He doesn't mention who any of the clergy are, but they clearly have clergy. You know, the, that kind of stuff where you, you stop and think about it and say, that doesn't really doesn't really work as an argument. And, and in fact, the same Ignatius of Antioch, writing in like 107, he argues that there is no such thing as a church without this threefold structure of bishop, presbyter, we'd now say priest, and deacon. And he refers to the Church of Rome as a church, so you really can just put the two pieces of evidence together and say, well, clearly they must have had this threefold structure, or Ignatius wouldn't have acknowledged them as a church. Um, Joe, I'm going to um, ask you to put this wonderful knowledge that you're sharing with us on pause and back up and introduce yourself to our listeners, because I don't, I don't think we got a proper introduction of who you are, what your background is, and 
Um, she's looking at me while she's saying all of this. <laughs> well, I'm Joe. looking at him because he's the only other person in the studio. It's not an accusatory look at all. But uh, but could you just just help our listeners come to know a little bit more about you before you go forward? Sure. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Um, my name, as, as you heard, is Joe Heschmeyer. I am a, an apologist for Catholic answers, and before this. Uh, I worked for a group called La Faith doing some similar kind of faith formation stuff in Northeast Kansas, which is uh, where I live. And before that, I was a seminarian. Uh, I actually know some of the, the priests from North Dakota, uh, like Father Wolf and Father Wolf. Uh, and before that, uh, I was an attorney in Washington, D.C. <laughs> before that, I was a student. So that's kind of the the basic rabbit trail that got me here uh, backwards. Very good. You have a lot in common with our family. <laughs> we, have, we have a son who's a former seminarian and a son who's a lawyer. <laughs> and a husband who's a former lawyer. I'm just I'm trying to knock it all out in one lifetime. There so. you go. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, how, how do you, and I don't know if I'm getting off script here or not, but how do the... Um, the, our Protestant brothers and sisters, uh, how do they explain where the Bible came from? Yeah, that, no, you're not, I don't think you're getting off script. I think that's a, a great question and one that I, I spend a chapter of the book really kind of exploring. And I, I look specifically at the four Gospels, because to do the whole Bible, it's a big kind of, that's a book by itself. And it's a book in which there's a mix of things that Protestants say that we totally agree with, and things that we would say, oh, that's that's just a myth. Um, so uh, I won't even go into all of the issues with the biblical canon, with, you know, why do they not have the seven books of the Old Testament, when the same Christians who say these are the books of the New Testament have those books in their Old Testament. We'll, we'll leave all of those things and just say, well, what about the areas we agree on? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we certainly agree are the four Gospels. Well, usually there are four tests that come up. Um, apostolicity, meaning these books were written either by apostles or by companions of the apostles. Orthodoxy, they, they don't teach anything heretical. Uh, liturgical use, uh, that the, the early Christians used these in the Mass, and uh, acceptance by the Church Fathers, that the major theologians and bishops in the earliest days of the Church, use these books. Now, the thing about all four of those texts, and basically any other text you're going to come up with, is that it relies on the trustworthiness and reliability of the Church in the second century. The first time we hear that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, uh, the first time we get that complete list is in 180 by a guy named St. Irenaeus. And that's kind of late in the game, frankly, compared to some of these other doctrines that, you know, a lot of the references before that, you don't have the Church Fathers directly saying, this is the chapter and this is the verse. You'll just have them paraphrasing something Jesus said or, or referencing it. And so we can kind of guess which books they were probably reading from based on the, the sort of things they're saying. But these could also be things that they've just heard, especially when you're going to the very early days. They're not quoting the book because they just remember when Jesus said that thing. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of working backwards. Well, St. Irenaeus, like I said, he, he seems to be kind of late. 
But Irenaeus is a student of, say, Polycarp of Smyrna. Uh, Polycarp of Smyrna was a student of the Apostle John. And so you've got a guy, Irenaeus, who learned Christianity from someone who got it directly from an Apostle, Polycarp. So that's not that far. It would be a strange thing to have lost something as basic as what are the four Gospels in, in that span of time. And, and by the way, it isn't like the Christians aren't constantly using the four Gospels during this time. So it isn't like everyone's just using nothing, and suddenly Irenaeus says, here are the four Gospels we use, and, and everybody starts using them. It's that they're clearly using something, but we don't always have a strong paper trail of what it is until Irenaeus tells us so. Um, Excuse me, Joe. When you say, oh yeah, go ahead. When you say using, are you are you speaking liturgically or in their preaching? Both and. Okay, Uh, that's a great question. That one of the ways we know that these books were considered inspired and not simply as good writing, because you know you've got plenty of things that are good early Christian writings that aren't in the Bible and that that aren't considered to be inspired scripture. Well, one of the ways we know they're inspired, or that they're considered to be inspired, is that the early Christians are using them in the Mass. And uh, St. Justin Martyr, in the first apology, he doesn't give us the full list, but he refers to what he calls the memoirs of the Apostles. So we know that there are these writings from the Apostles, and, you know, in the case of two of the Gospels, from companions of the Apostles, that uh, are recording what the Apostles saw and heard, and that they're used in the Mass, they're used in the liturgy. That, that's what he tells us, you know, when he uses that phrase, he's talking about the structure of the Mass. So in all of those things, it, it's actually really remarkable, because a Protestant who rejects everything Irenaeus believes about bishops, everything he believes about the real presence, everything he believes about the role of baptism, everything he believes about the necessity of agreeing with the Bishop of Rome, then turns around and says, well, we can trust that these are the right four Gospels, because Aaron has tells us so. And and I think that's a very topsy-turvy kind of way of looking at the world. Okay, I'm, Joe, I'm going to have to jump in here right now, because we're coming up on a break. And so uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue our discussion on the other side of the break. We're talking with uh, Joe Heschmeyer about his book, The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. And uh, stay with us, and we have more to come on the other side of the break. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision offers vision therapy services for children and adults. Symptoms of poor reading comprehension, headaches, tired eyes, and poor coordination can be indicators of eye movement conditions which affect reading and learning. Eye movement disorders are often undetected by school vision screenings and regular eye exams. For more information about how vision therapy can help treat these conditions, our website is www.lumen.vision. One of the gentlemen who works with the high school students uh, came to the faith through the radio station. Oh, he, uh, awesome. uh, he kind of was, was he, he said more or less he was an atheist, didn't have any working faith at all. And he started listening to the radio station just out of curiosity at first, but then he found the answers compelling. 
You know, he had this impression that religion really didn't have the answer to these meaningful questions. And he would flip to the radio station and he would continue listening because he was intrigued by the answers. And he would listen more and more. And eventually, after several months, he said to himself, I don't have any more hangups. I don't have any more objection. I don't have a coherent reason at why I'm not Catholic. Wow. But just like you said, when you're in your home, you can turn on the radio and get those answers that you're thirsting for. And he did. It it started with Real Presence Radio. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, Real Presence listeners. Thank you for being with us um, on this chilly February day, one week from the season of Lent. I think we can probably offer up this suffering as part of our Lenten sacrifice because God's outside of time, right? Yeah, I (laughs) think so, too. Yes, um, it's been a great morning, and we have with us now, in um, by way of the telephone, Joe Heschmeyer, who has been talking about his um, the content of his book, "The Early Christian Church Was the Catholic Church," and this is this is something that is important not just for people outside of the church, but I think it's really important for Catholics to have this um, understanding too. We've been born in you know, especially cradle Catholics. You just you know, it's good to 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 understand and to know. And so we're going to start the second part of, of this um, conversation with a question I have for Joe, and that is... Um, and this is a real gotcha one, too, right? Well, no, <laughs> it's a real... I'd like to know the answer myself, so I'm presuming other people would want to know. So um, could you um, share with our listeners... Some questions that we can propose, like in conversation, you know, as conversations come up, what kind of questions can we propose to those Catholics and non-Catholics that would lead them to discover the truth of the fact that Christ established a church on earth and it is indeed the Catholic Church? So, what kinds of questions? Yeah. Yeah. I think those are great questions, and I think these are the questions that really work in terms of actually moving the dial a little bit and actually helping people to convert. And one of the big ones really is, where does the Bible come from? How do you know you've got the right books? And if they look seriously into that, they're going to very quickly run squarely into the Church Fathers. Because if you don't have them, you're at a real loss. You know, there's no inspired table of contents. It isn't like Jesus just hands the Apostles, uh, King James Version of the Bible, and says, be on your merry way. Mm-hmm. The, the story's a lot more complicated than that, and the story involves the role of the early Church being able to reliably hear the voice of God, and to be able to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of the enemy, and, and from 
even just good Christian writings that aren't inspired. So that's a, a good question to ask. Where does the Bible come from? How do you know you've got the right books? And then pay attention, because whatever answer they come back with is probably going to be an answer about the early Church. And one way that you can find that is they say, well, these are the books that are written by apostles. Well, how do you know that? You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't identify themselves in the book. Oh, well, the early Church tells us so. Okay, great. So we're at a place where we're listening to and trusting the early Church. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that early Church. You know, that's, that's one direction uh, you can take the conversation. And that one I know to be fruitful. I've, I've seen that be fruitful. I know people that's really changed their heart. We hear uh, a second. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, we hear it on Catholic radio all the time because there are so many apologists who are converts, and uh, almost universally their story begins with, uh, you know, uh, I tried to disprove the Church, and I started reading the Church Fathers to actually find out where the Church came from, and lo and behold, (laughs) I I discovered to to my horror that I was Catholic. (laughs) I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so the, the... No, 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 that's, that's great. It actually tees up the other kind of way I was going to see you could approach the question. And if they've got some particular hang-up against Catholicism, it's, uh, it's probably a good question to say, okay, great. So, presumably, you don't think Jesus taught this, right? <laughs> you're, not, you're not complaining that we're so faithful to Jesus' teaching, that you think instead Jesus taught Doctrine A, this Protestant teaching over here, or this whatever teaching over here. And then over time, teaching A got replaced with teaching B, the Catholic teaching. And I, whatever that is for, for the particulars of your conversation, point out to them, that's not just a theological claim. That's a historical claim. That at some point in history, teaching A was replaced with teaching B. That it should be the case that whether we like teaching A or teaching B, we, we should be able to see teaching B coming along and replacing teaching A, and it would probably be a pretty controversial thing. So where do we see that in history? And that's a good way to ground the conversation in reality, because a lot of the Protestant claims about the Catholic Church slowly going astray, they're just not rooted in any real history. They don't say, this person in this century did this. They just say, oh, slowly over time. And it's very vague, it's very unmoored from reality, uh, because it's not true. Is there a particular way to approach those um, those people who are seeking who are part of other world religions that um, don't recognize Jesus? So outside of Christianity, yeah, that's a that's a good question and a, a really good kind of I guess pivot in the conversation too. Because like I said, like I wrote this book, uh, dialoguing mostly with Protestants but also kind of recognizing that the, the arguments I'm making here are equally applicable to anyone who says, I like the teachings of Jesus, I don't like the teachings of the Catholic Church. That that's the idea that something went wrong between what Jesus taught and what the Catholic Church taught. So if you've got someone who believes a different religion, I think there's a couple ways you could go with that. One, if they're in this position of saying, oh, I like Jesus' teachings, but I don't think he taught what you taught. Well, that's a good place to have this same conversation, to, to go back and say, well, the earliest followers of Jesus thought this is what he said. And it seems like they'd be in a good position to know. Uh, the other is that even when we're talking about, say, the proof of the resurrection, it really matters 
that there really was a first-century Christian movement, because they heard this preacher from Galilee, and they followed him, and they were very convinced that he rose from the dead. Many of them claimed to have seen it. Hundreds of them claimed to have seen the risen Christ. And then they were willing to be persecuted and killed. Now, all of that points to the trustworthiness and reliability of Christianity in a major way. If we just found, you know, a book from 2,000 years ago, and it claimed this had happened, but we had no historical evidence for it at all, it would be very hard to know, well, is this even like a, a work of nonfiction, or is this just like a fictitious story set in the past? But when we can think of in history, people who were close enough to know were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, and we've got mass conversions. We've got the incredible kind of exponential growth of Christianity in the early church. Now that we we've got Christianity already becoming like a a large enough group that the Romans are annoyed with them by the 60s AD. Uh, that's really telling because why is that happening if Jesus is dead in the tomb or if Jesus didn't exist? Like those would be things that no one at the time could fall for. Um, it's much easier to tell you a made-up story about 2,000 years ago, tell you a made-up story about two months ago. Uh, it's, it's much easier to disprove that. Very good point. Um, we're coming to the end of our time with you, Joe, and um, it's been it's been very enjoyable. Are there? Um, could you talk to our listeners about ways in which they can find your book, and then any other thoughts oh, sure. or reflections or encouragements for our listeners? Yeah, so you can get my book at shops.catholic.com. Now, you can get it anywhere, you know, local Catholic bookstore, Amazon, but I would recommend uh, the Catholic Answer Shop, which we're at catholic.com, and shops.catholic.com is the website, because you can get it both individually, or you can get bulk sales uh, for, you know, like, I think it's five books for $30 or something, and you can get it, if you get, like, even more books than that, like, if you've got a Bible study, you can get them as cheap as, like, $3 a book, so... Don't waste money on more than you need to, uh, <laughs> and and so that would be the one thing I'd say, just as a you know thrifty midwesterner. Uh, and then the second is is just to say that even for Catholics, like you know, we talk so much about like what can we do to introduce non-Catholics to the Church Fathers, but I would say we have a lot we can learn from the earliest Christians. They're beautiful writers in many cases. They're these great witnesses to what the apostles had. So I hope. Anyone who reads the book comes away a little more in love with the earliest Christians, for whom we owe so much, and a little more interested in what they believed and what they taught. Okay, great. Joe, thanks for being with us today. This has been a a, a fun uh, segment, and uh, I hope people will go out and uh, get your book and buy it in bulk and give it to their friends. Read it for Lent. Read, well, thank it, you so much. read it for Lent. Okay. <laughs> yes. yeah. Thanks for being I with hope us. It's not too penitential. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Stay warm, guys. Okay. Yeah, thank you. You too. Okay. Up next, it's a group for women who have lost their spouse. Learn more about this during our next interview on Real Presence Live right after this break. So stay with us. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 